You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Lucinda Larnick. This is the WFHB Local News for Thursday, September 29th, 2022. Later in the program, the League of Women Voters of Bloomington and Monroe County hosted a candidate forum for the U.S. District 9 candidates last night. More in the bottom half of our program. Also coming up in the next half hour, election day is November 8th. Indiana residents must be registered to vote by October 11th to participate in the general election. That's coming up in your State House Roundup. Good afternoon. This is your State House Roundup for September 29th. I'm Benedict Jones. The Anti-Defamation League released names of over 38,000 people on the Oath Keepers members list. The list contained 23 elected officials, military personnel, law enforcement members, and first responders in Indiana. The Oath Keepers are a far-right extremist group in the U.S., with ties to the January 6th attack on the Capitol. According to the ADL report, the Oath Keepers are an anti-government militia movement that focus on current and former members of the military, law enforcement, and emergency services personnel for their recruitment efforts. CEO and National Director of the Anti-Defamation League, Jonathan Greenblatt, walked through the report on MSNBC earlier this month. This is a chilling report, the likes of which we've never released before. Last September, ADL analysts were able to get our hands on a data leak of the Oath Keepers membership roles. There were 38,000 names that were essentially pulled from their records and put um, put out in the open. Our analysts pulled down the information before the Oath Keepers could pull it back. We used open source techniques including public records, social media, and other methods to review every single name that we found. And I must say, we thought the Oath Keepers were a threat when they rampaged through the Capitol on January the 6th, but we had no idea just how deep the threat truly is. We found hundreds of active law enforcement members who are part of the Oath Keepers. 10 chiefs of police, 11 sheriffs, dozens and dozens of active members of the U.S. military, some 80 individuals who were running for public office, you know, almost two dozen of whom made it through the primaries and will be up this fall. And look, you might not know all of these names. Many people might know Arizona State Senator Wendy Rogers who still months after the terror attack at the Capitol proudly proclaimed that she was an Oath Keeper in support of the group. 
but I'm talking about a, a county commissioner in Nevada, a town justice in New York, a firearms instructor in Pittsburgh, a pastor in North Carolina, and it goes on and on and on. These are individuals with access and influence. These are individuals with resources and training. And these are individuals who have shown us they are willing to commit acts of sedition and violence against the U.S. government. Indiana State Representative Christopher Judy showed up on that list. Judy represents Indiana District 83, which encompasses parts of Allen and Whitley counties. Elkhart County Commissioner Bradley Rogers also appeared on the list. Rogers previously served as the Elkhart County Sheriff. Rogers told the media that he has not been a member of the Oath Keepers in almost a decade. Rogers said, quote, I am an advocate for the protection of individual rights and the Constitution as our rule of law, something that the Oath Keepers now stand opposed to. This is why I left the organization those years ago, end quote. According to the Anti-Defamation League, the inclusion of an individual on the Oath Keepers list is not proof that they were or still are an Oath Keeper, that they hold or held all or some of Oath Keeper ideology or viewpoints, or that they ever actively participated in Oath Keeper activities. Election day is November 8th this year. In order to vote in the general election in Indiana, you must be registered to vote by October 11th. Early voting then begins on October 12th. Indiana residents can register to vote online by mail or in person. To register to vote, visit indianavoters.com. Residents with a valid driver's license or state-issued identification card can use this tool to submit a new voter registration application or to update an existing voter registration record. To register to vote or update your current registration by mail or in person, you will need to complete the voter registration form on or before October 11th ahead of the 2022 general election. A link to that voter registration form can be found at wfhb.org following this broadcast. You will need to return the completed form to Monroe County Election Central at 401 West 7th Street, Suite 100, Bloomington, Indiana 47404. You can also return the form to the Indiana Election Division at 302 West Washington Street, Room E204 in Indianapolis. For more information, you can contact Monroe County Election Central by calling 812-349-2690 or emailing ljwilson at co.monroe.in.us. And that's your State House Roundup. For WFHB, I'm Lucinda Larnock. On Wednesday... The League of Women Voters of Bloomington and Monroe County hosted a candidate forum for U.S. District 9 candidates. Indiana's 9th Congressional District is currently represented by Republican Trey Hollingsworth. In January, Hollingsworth announced he would not run for re-election in 2022. Five candidates will be on the ballot for the general election. The League of Women Voters invited all five candidates in Wednesday's forum. Democrat Matt Fife and Libertarian Tanya Millis were the only two candidates willing to participate. Notably absent was Republican nominee, former state senator Aaron Houchin. Matt Fife, a Bloomington resident who works as a high school math teacher, won the Democratic nomination during the primary. 
Fife discussed his platform in opening remarks. My name is Matt Fife. I'm running for the United States House of Representatives. I'm the Democratic nominee. I'm a teacher by trade, a high school teacher. I have three small children, ages eight, five, and one. And I come from a union household, and I'm a union leader myself nowadays. Those three kind of stories about myself lead into issues that I definitely care about. Education policy and uh, protecting our public education in our schools is so important to me. Raising healthy families, I know the challenges of navigating working while raising a healthy family, and I know we can make better policies that way. And finally, making sure we have a good economy and we're protecting workers' rights um, as they go into their jobs. Thank you. Tanya Millis has previously worked as a real estate broker, a nurse's aide at Brown County High School, and as the vice chair of the Libertarian Party of Lawrence County. Millis talked about her values as a candidate during her opening statement. I'm Tanya Millis, candidate for U.S. House of Representatives, Indiana's 9th District, which has 17 counties in the southeast quadrant. I'm a real estate broker, so I work with people from all different walks of life. Um, I'm a libertarian and a constitutionalist. Um, I have to say that our founding fathers absolutely did not, did not want a two-party monopoly, which um, some people don't like to hear, but that's the truth. And the two-party monopoly is what we call the duopoly. Uh, Washington, D.C. in particular is a mess. And um, it's very polarized. Um, and my campaign is called the Roll It Back campaign to roll back some of the pesky rules and regulations that um, have been bestowed upon us. So um, you can check out the things that I care about at my website, tanyaforcongress.com. And thank you. Moderator Sonia Learcamp asked both candidates what they see as the government's leadership role in the reduction of carbon emissions. Millis answered first. Well, first of all, um, as human beings, we are the stewards of our planet. So it's very important that we have clean water, clean air, um, just to have a functioning society, a good quality of life. Um, I think it's very important that we protect our wildlife and uh, nature preserves. The United States, I think, has come a long way over many years uh, with carbon emissions uh, reduction, uh, when especially when it comes to manufacturing plants, automobile um, carbon emissions, we've reduced that drastically. Um, we still have a ways to go. Um, we need more participation um, with you know, keeping things cleaned up and that sort of thing. Um, as uh, an elected person in Washington, D.C., I would endorse pro-climate bills to promote uh, positive change around the world, because even though the United States is doing well, China and India are horrible polluters. And the stuff that they're spewing into the atmosphere is spreading around the planet. So even though the United States might be doing OK, we've got to be better as um examples to other countries. Fife addressed the same question, saying the government should push for cleaner sources of energy. We all need clean air, clean water, and clean soil. Uh, we need to live healthy lives. We need to be able to drink clean water, have, um, have baths. Uh, our farmers need to be able to use clean soil and clean water when growing crops. And I think it's the government's role to help push us in that direction whenever possible. So whether that's updating our electricity grid, uh, to make sure that we can push for more renewables, whether that's pushing more research opportunities into renewable energy. Um, I think both are very important. 
But that could also be things like planting trees, uh, making sure that we have clean wastewater, clean runoff, uh, making sure that droughts are, are taken care of, but also flooding. And so I think, I think our government has a good role in all of this. And as a specific example, um, we have, as the government, we have pushed for cleaner cars, uh, cleaner vehicles in, in the past. And these regulations has help, have helped push car companies to not only have cleaner emissions, um, but also safer cars for all of us out on the roadways today. The next question pertained to what role the U.S. Congress plays in economic development. Fife said rural areas need help in spurring economic development and that Congress should assist in making that possible. I view economic development uh, as it is something that I hear about from voters pretty often. And they don't often use the words as economic development, but they say things like, I want my kids to grow up here and have a good job, right? I want them to be able to come back to the area and have a wonderful opportunity of life. I want them to, to be able to go off to college or the military or Peace Corps or whatever they're going to do, but come back home and have a really good job. And some of that has unfortunately been leaving rural areas. I hear that as well when I'm out and about um, in our large district here, uh, that the rural areas are sometimes being left behind. And so I think the government plays a role in making sure that, that workers can stand up for their own economic development, can organize. Um, that we are making sure that rural areas are having the telecommunications to be able to, to develop uh, naturally and to make sure that we are giving a good education uh, to all, to foundation, to make sure that we are growing naturally. Millis said bringing down inflation should be a top priority for the U.S. House of Representatives. She also said Congress should help empower small businesses. First of all, we're having a problem with inflation right now. Our debt is over $30 trillion, and we need to bring that down so the value of the dollar will stay strong. Uh, we're not living within our means. Quite frankly, our country is broke. So that's one of the things that I would be pursuing um, as a member of Congress. The other thing is the promotion of small businesses at the state and local level. The Small Business Administration has at least one office in every single state in the union, sometimes more. And the SBA, um, their efforts help promote entrepreneurship as well as women. Um, there's a, an office called the Women's Business Ownership, um, OBO, O-W-B-O, that helps promote um, women and also disadvantaged women to help be competitive in the marketplace. So as a member of commerce, I would promote those efforts as well, because I think the grassroots um, efforts with the small business in your local community is where we need to be strong at and get better at. Leah Camp asked about ensuring safe and secure elections and how to improve voting access in the U.S. Millis responded first. Okay. As a constitutionalist, um, much of that goes back to the states. Um, Article 4 and also the 10th Amendment, which reiterates uh, Article 4 and their duties. Uh, we have the Electoral College and um, at the state level, we have a secretary of state candidate who has a really good idea where the voters would get a receipt. But I do think that early voting is important as well as online registration. In today's modern technology, people should be able to go online 
um, at the BMV, because right now you can go into physically go into the license branch and register to vote. And um, but you can also go online and do that as well. And we need to get the word out to get more people involved in the voting process as far as the counting of the ballots and making sure there's an audit and that sort of thing for integrity for the voting process that's done at the state level. So as a federal person um, in Congress in Washington, D.C., I would not have direct um, oversight over that because it's done at the state and local level. Um, and the, the counties pay a big part of that as well. Fife discussed measures he supports when it comes to improving and securing elections and voting access. Thank you. I think we started today by saying voting is so important um, because it really is. And making sure that we have uh, good access to our voting, uh, making sure that everybody feels like they have a voice is so important as well. Um, from the federal level, I think uh, it would be great to see voting days to be national holidays. I think some people have trouble getting off work um, to go to the polls at times, especially here in Indiana. Polls close at six often, uh, which is pretty early in the day. So I would love to see that be a national holiday. I would also love to see expanded voting access, uh, early voting access, um, and making sure that people can easily register or automatically register to vote. So when I'm out and around the district, I often also talk to people who feel like their voice doesn't matter, even if they are voting. Unfortunately, I feel some people feel like they are gerrymandered um, here in Indiana, but also in other parts of the country as well. I would love to see independent commissions uh, to draw lines for so that representatives are not choosing who votes for them, uh, but to make sure that the representatives don't have a say in who votes for them, that the people get to make sure that they choose who is who is voting. Um, so those are some measures I'd like to see to make voting fair and safe and the access really well. Fife then answered what he sees as the major social and racial inequities facing the nation and what would do to address them. Um, I think it is one major thing that plays um, an unfortunate role in both racial and social aspects of our country. Um, you see it in school policy. So where you go to school and how much your school has to teach the students, um, but also after school programs at schools um, and, and other programming happening in and around the schools. Uh, wealth inequality helps that. And that is directly, so the Federal Department of Education and some policies put in by the federal government uh, help make up some of that inequality. And that is something that I'm very passionate about and would like to see more of from the federal level is to make sure that we are funding special education programs, less focused on standardized testing, but more focused on getting these great programs for all students. Um, I would also like to see great access to good jobs. So making sure wages, benefits, and retirement are really good for all folks. Um, and making sure that we have access to organize to make sure that, that inequality is less so that the bosses and big corporations can't take advantage of workers as often. Um, again, there's a lot to this question, and I feel like I want more time, but... Uh, those are some important aspects to social and racial inequality. And yes, I think some of what I said impacts the social aspect of it more. Um, but that also plays a role into the racial aspect. And 
I'm out of time, but thank you for the question. Millis responded to the question of how to address social and racial inequities and what she would do to address them. Okay. Um, I think the question of social inequities and the racial are two separate things, and they could be each discussed separately um, uh, for uh, long periods of time. So I'll try to address them both very quickly. Uh, socially, um, the inequalities with social economics at the federal level has to do with Big Brother getting in y'all's business and the tax rate, which is enormous. My roll it back plan would be to eliminate the Internal Revenue Service. I know sometimes people give a big eye roll on that, but many politicians have talked about that for quite some times and it's all been lip service. Right now, the state of Indiana has a 7% sales tax. If we didn't have the IRS and just increase the sales tax additional percentage, then the states can send money to the U.S. Treasury to pay for our national defense, our roads, and the other things that need to be paid for, and for once and for all, have a balanced budget. That way, you as an individual would know in real time what you're paying in taxes. And people talk about um, the wealthy paying their fair share. Well, as a woman, if I bought a $40 purse or chose to buy a $400 purse, I'm going to pay more in taxes for the $400. So the wealthy are going to pay more in taxes because they spend more money. Leah Camp then posed a question on the Second Amendment. Fife responded first. What are your priorities regarding access to guns and gun safety? How would you address the issues of school safety, suicide, and public safety? So there's quite a bit tied up in that, and you will have 90 seconds to try to respond. Thank you. So I grew up here in Indiana. I There were, you know, next door, we had hunters. We had guns in our household. Um, they were safe, right? They were locked up. I never saw them as a child. Um, I was never a hunter personally. I got more into basketball, but if that is somebody's passion, I can see how that is um, something that they care about deeply and a constitutional right of theirs. I also, as a teacher, I see a, a big worry because my entire teaching career, we have um, focused on shooter drills, right? Active shooter drills. Um, and I also know the statistics that there are over 100, 100 gun related deaths a day. Uh, many of those, like you said, due to suicide and violence. I think there are, I'm, I'm happy that there was some movement, right, for keeping gun violence uh, lower while not restricting the rights of those who want to use firearms um, safely, responsible gun owners. What I would love to see though is uh, more background checks. So right now in, in many places, um, you don't have to run a background check if it is a person-to-person -person sale, if it's not a licensed dealer. I would love to see more gun safety. Um, so, for example, making sure that we have um, we have safe storage laws to make sure that we have red flag laws um, in every state and around the country. I would love to um, keep larger. So you think of these large automatic weapons, I would like to keep them as a little bit harder to get, especially for that 18 to 21 year old range where we're seeing so many of these active shooters go into schools or other public uh, places with these large guns, large, large amounts of ammunition. And I think these are, these are common sense tactics um, that we can take to, again, make sure that we're 
protecting our constitutional right, but also protecting those in our community um, and doing both at the same time. Millis gave her perspective regarding access to guns and gun safety and how she would address the issues of school safety, suicide and public safety. What we have been seeing with mass shootings, um, the root of the problem, it appears to be mental illness most of the time. It's usually young males from troubled homes. Um, they've been traumatized or they have mental illness uh, for from memory. Sometimes it's um, physical, metabolic uh, reasons. And we need to address that problem. Um, the right to for the people to bear arms shall not be infringed, period. So uh, when it comes to the Constitution, um, and you have to go back to our founding fathers who fought so hard and for the Declaration of Independence, people don't realize so many people died in bloodshed just to get free from the tyrannical king. And when they wrote the Declaration of Independence and then 10 years later, the Constitution it wasn't coming from a, a rabbit hunting trip. It was coming from freeing a nation. And so the right to bear arms has nothing to do with hunting at all. Um, but I do think we should be safe with our guns. We should have background checks. You know, and you need to have some common sense there. Um, but mental illness really does need to be addressed because some of these people, if they don't have access to a gun, they're doing some other um, nefarious activities uh, to harm other people. So we do need to um, focus the light on more of the root problem of why these people are troubled and going around causing harm. School safety at the local level, I know the county sheriffs are working with local schools um, to help with that. And I would promote the encouragement at the state and local level to work with the school administrators. The candidates discussed their stances on a range of topics, issues including national security, infrastructure, climate change, money and politics, and more. To watch the full candidate forum for Indiana's 9th Congressional District, visit WFHB.org following this broadcast. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specialising in solar hot water, solar electricity and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Noel Herhusky-Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Cade Young, Benedict Jones, and Lucinda Larnack. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Lucinda Larnack. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. 
The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your shows. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Big Talk, a one-on-one conversation with some of Bloomington's most fascinating people. Coming up next on WFHB. Listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 